South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, and we are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. A great show planned for you this evening. Joining us in just a little bit will be Marie D. Jones. She's the author of the book, This Book is from the Future, and uh, it's a fascinating read. This book is from the future, a journey through portals, relativity, wormholes, and other adventures in time travel, and uh, Marie wrote this book with her longtime co-writer on a number of her projects, Larry Flaxman, and... uh, I've been reading this book over the last week or so, rereading it because I read it earlier uh, in the fall, and I got to tell you, Marie and Larry, they have a great ability to take the most complex subjects and bring them down to a level where even I can understand them. So uh, I'm very excited to talk with them about something that I've always, always had a fascination with, that being time travel. Time travel's always fascinated me as well. It's one of those things where, if only... Well... I mean, you're a scientist. Does it come up in conversation from time to time with some of your colleagues, the, the idea that maybe it could be possible someday, or you know, I'm sure a lot of them have, uh, have already made up their mind that it wouldn't be possible? Well, no, quite the contrary. As a matter of fact, a lot of scientists know that time travel is possible according to physics. We've known that for almost 100 years in terms of mathematics. Uh, as far as people putting stuff together, we've already done experiments where we're able to basically time travel small particles and as you know once you start taking one step other steps are just further on down the road it's just a matter of perfecting the the technology and the science so who knows in another you know half century or so we may unlock the key where we're able to send small recording devices back in time Uh, well um for those of you who are new to the program, you can join in with us on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Jump into the chat room there and share your own thoughts about time travel during the course of the program. And just an executive producer to director note, Moniz, you got to remember to switch that shot because the whole time you were talking, the camera was just on me. So, uh, I, Sorry about that. I, I actually, uh, last week we had John Brightman in the studio, but I, I didn't want to make a guest direct the show, so I was trying to do everything by myself. I think I did a pretty good job of switching the shots. There was one stretch where I, I didn't leave it on myself uncomfortably long. So... I mean, it's not just my own self-consciousness, just from a viewer standpoint. You know, when, when you're talking, let them see you. So, uh, again, we will be uh, talking with Marie D. Jones coming up uh, in the bottom half of this hour. And if you want to call in at any point in time, you can feel free to do so at one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty or locally, 508-996-0500. Email us your thoughts or questions, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll read them on the air. And, of course, the chat room is on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you've never experienced Spooky TV live, if you listen to the show on podcast, as apparently hundreds of thousands of you do, thank you again. Oh, my gosh. The numbers just keep going up and up each week. And, and uh, it's, just, it's, it's fascinating to watch you know, the, just 
which shows people have an interest in. And it seems like no matter what the topic now, you know, the, the audience is there. So thank you so much. Keep sending your emails too, by the way, to spooky crew at spooky com, telling us where you're from, how you found out about the show, some of your favorite shows, some topics you'd like to hear us cover, you know, any complaints that you may have, anything like that. So, uh, spooky crew at spooky com. That's the way to reach us anytime during the week. And we appreciate it. But if you are new to, to the show or if you've never experienced the show live, just click on the spooky TV tab under the live show column on SpookySouthCoast.com and you can check out what's going on here in the Spooky Studio as we do the program. You can see when uh, you know when I scratch my butt and Moniz picks his nose and all the stuff that you know we think we can get away with because we're on radio, but we can't because through the wonders of Spooky TV. Also, they get to see we definitely have the face for radio. Absolutely. And uh, in, in some cases, you know, we have the the rear ends that prove that we've been in radio for a number of years because they're just spreading wider like our reach like our podcast downloads just spreading and growing so uh if you <laughs> if you want to check that out feel free to do that and uh and you can meet all the great people in the chat room i got a full house in there tonight so you definitely want to get on board and chat with them as well and the good thing too about SpookySouthCoast.com is it allows us to to reach out to you during the course of the week. It's not just about Saturday nights from ten to midnight when we're normally on the air. It's uh, it's your chance to kind of check out the world of the paranormal through our lens, uh, pretty much daily. And uh, with Spooky TV now, we've we've added some shows uh, with uh, Spooky Crossroads on Wednesdays at nine and Spirit Connections Tuesdays at seven, but. In addition to that, we've also started the new Spooky Alternative podcast feed, which, uh, of course, you can get from the RSS feeds at the very top of SpookySouthCoast.com, but now it's also showing up in iTunes. So it takes a little while for, you know, you have to have some content up there on iTunes, and, and people have to start downloading it for it to start showing up in the search. But now if you search for Spooky Alternative, which is the name of that feed, you will find it. And uh, right now we've got two episodes of Spooky Crossroads up there for you to listen to, and we have uh, two episodes of Chris Balzano's exclusive show to the feed, Voices from the Past, where he digs into the audio archives of some of his research over the years, and uh, he's been posting up things from the early 2000s. So even before Spooky South Coast existed and before you know Chris was writing his books, you can check out some of the work that he was doing with his Mass Crossroads website, and, and even before that, you know some of the research that he was doing. So check out the Spooky Alternative Podcast feed. And you can't go wrong. This may be an opportunity for Costa to get his feet wet again. You know, the downtime that he does have with his other job, which is unfortunate that it conflicts with the schedule, he might be able to put together some of his uh, Costa's crypto things that he likes to do. I'd love for him to get involved. And, uh, and of course, if anybody wants to get involved, you know, time slots are open. I mean, really, if you want to broadcast on Spooky TV or if you want to just submit something for the podcast feed, Spooky Alternative feed, uh, feel free to do so. The great thing about it is is it's open-ended. It doesn't have to be a two-hour show like we do here each and every Saturday night. It can be five minutes, ten minutes, a half an hour, four hours, whatever it is that you want to do. Well, four hours is it's kind of a big upload, so you might want to limit yourself uh, <laughs> a little bit. Do it in parts. It'll make it a lot easier. But uh, it's, it's there for you to utilize as well. So if you have ideas Ideas and, and you have uh, programming that you'd like to see put on, why not step up to the mic and do it yourself? Just uh, email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we will be glad to help you figure out how to make it happen. And uh, I, I'm just glad that we can you know, keep infiltrating people's lives all week. You know, we don't want you to forget about us by Wednesday. <laughs> we want you to remember Spooky South Coast all the time. And uh, speaking of uh, infiltrating your week, if you're around Monday night, come on by the Wareham Historical Society because I'll be giving a presentation called Ghosts, Legit or Legend? Question mark. See, you have to say the question mark on the air because it doesn't really translate. 
Uh, that'll be happening at the Old Methodist Meeting House this Monday, November 19th at 7 p.m. That's at 495 Main Street in Wareham. Uh, my lecture is going to explore theories and possible explanations of what ghosts are and why so many people feel compelled to believe in the afterlife. Uh, I'll also present evidence of the hauntings at the Fearing Tavern and the other buildings of the Wareham Historical Society that we gathered during our Haunted History Night 2012 event last month. So uh, if you do have some of the evidence or personal experiences that you'd like to see shared with the Wareham Historical Society, because that's it's one of the kind of the the catch of doing the events there is they want to know what it is that happens. So I go back each year or, or somebody goes back each year and gives them a presentation of, of what was gathered and what happened. So if you have any evidence or any personal anecdotes that you want to share, just email them spooky crew at spooky South com or Tim at spooky South com. Uh, pretty much over the weekend here because, uh, again, the presentation is this Monday. And if you'd like to attend, it's free for members of the Wareham Historical Society. And if you are not a member, they just ask for a $2 donation. Uh, but they do offer refreshments. So, you know, you're paying $2 for some cookies and some apple cider and that kind of stuff. So it's worth it. Maybe Carol will make one of her pies. Oh, that's, that's worth it right there. So, uh, again, this Monday at 7 p.m. at the Wareham Historical Society's Old Methodist Meeting House, 495 Main Street in Wareham. And if you're not sure of the directions or if you need uh, need any more information, just hit me up, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, or catch me on Facebook. Uh, two good ways. Speaking of Facebook, I got some uh, messages this week about some uh, really fascinating um, fundraiser ideas, You know, something a little bit different than uh, how we normally talk about people raising money and one of them is being put on by glory haunt hounds and ideal event management they're putting on a paranormal fundraiser for the victims of hurricane sandy Mm. now we've seen all these different types of you know fundraising concerts and different kinds of benefits but this is going to be a night of paranormal fun next saturday november 24th at 6 p.m at the irish mist in troy new york and it'll be featuring steve deschiavi i hope i'm saying that right of the travel channels the dead files i don't watch the dead files so i'm not really sure but steve from the dead files will be there there'll also be a q with featured guests, a buffet dinner, ghost tours of the abandoned floors, and raffles. Uh, there's some great prizes being offered up uh, in the raffle. And uh, there's and w- one of them, of course, is a one-hour private ghost hunt with uh, Steve and other special guests, including Joe Chin of Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International, and New England Paranormal Research founder John Brightman, who was our guest here on the program last week. Tickets are only $50, and they go to the Red Cross Hurricane Sandy Relief Fund. If you'd like to purchase tickets, just go to www.gloryhaunthounds.com. Again, that's gloryhaunthounds.com. And uh, one other thing that we want to let you know about, too, is uh, that there is a fundraiser going on where uh, they're gathering some toys to send them down to to children in Staten Island uh, who were... uh, affected by Superstorm Sandy, as they're calling it now. So uh, we're hoping that we can maybe check in with the young lady here uh, that is, I see her mom's in the chat room. So uh, if you can hear my voice, yes, shoot me your, shoot me your uh, phone number on Facebook, and I will be glad to give you a call at the start of the next hour. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that then a little bit later on. You like how things just happen on the fly here on Spooky South Coast. <laughs> Well, now, Moniz, you weren't here last week. Uh, you missed our, our great talk with John Brightman. Uh, but you were out in the field working on a private case. Which yes, this is a case that's been going on for a couple of years. And eventually, information will come to light. Yes, we're we're getting to the point now that uh, a lot of information, a lot of data, a lot of evidence has been gathered. We're just waiting for the last little bits. The homeowner is... Uh, trying to be as accommodating as possible you know she just doesn't want the place 
public she because she obviously doesn't want 50 million people knocking at her door and and things like that and i i can completely understand and respect that i mean it it's common sense you know this is a private residence and they want to keep what's happening to them uh you know somewhat private they they don't mind the information and the data being shared they just want their personal lives to to, to be kept out of it. And uh, Andy and I are going to uh, be looking to put forward a bit of um, a bit of the data in, in a couple of months. So you've seen some of the stuff. And say again, as much as you can. Yeah, as much as we can. We'll, we'll show you some of the uh, photographs, uh, play some of the audio. We the, Mike Markowitz was there, and uh, that's one of the things that we were doing there on that Saturday, reviewing some of the EVP. He had over 40 EVPs that he got in just one session alone. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not talking, you know, uh, was that a whisper? No. These are very definitive, very clear statements. Some of the objects that have been manipulated in this house are just phenomenal. Now, uh, I, I do want to say, too, that uh, something very interesting happened to me today, which uh, of a non-paranormal nature, but those who are familiar with the show and know my work in the paranormal, uh, you'll find this to be pretty funny. When uh, I, It's a pretty interesting day when you get a, a note on Facebook that says, Andrew Borden has accepted your friend request, especially <laughs> considering how Andrew Borden and I are not very friendly. <laughs> so I thought You guys you made nice. That's Yeah, good. we're going to get along now. So uh, we do have a call on the line, so uh, let's see who it is. Hi, we're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, we're spooktacular, as we say here. That's great. So uh, who, who are we speaking with? This is Olivia Marks. I am hosting the Toy Drive. Oh, okay. So, all right. Well, we were going to call you a little bit later on, but since uh, since you're only 15, we won't keep you up that late. How about that? Okay. We'll just talk about it now. <laughs> So you've uh, you've organized this toy drive here uh, to help benefit some of the families that were affected by uh, what they're calling Superstorm Sandy, right? Yes. Uh, how was it that you came up with the idea to do this? Um, a couple of years ago, I had done a bandage draft for the kids in Haiti, and I don't like to see children suffer. So when I saw the devastation down in Staten Island, I wanted to do something for the kids for the holidays. And so how did you go about putting everything all together? I mean, at least you had the, the template of doing something for Haiti in the past, but, I mean, how, how do you get the ball rolling in something like this? Well, I um, talked to my middle school that I went to, and I spoke to the, sh- uh, the owner of the Shamit Diner, and they just let me put boxes there, spread flyers on Facebook, and it circulated quickly. Well, the owner of the Shama Diner, of course, is uh, is WBSM personality Phil Paleologus. So, yes, and uh, he's he's a wonderful guy, and he's always willing to help the community. And and uh, now I I hear though that uh, you're having now you've been able to get some of these toys down there over the last few days, right? No, we haven't shipped anything down yet. You haven't had a chance to. Okay, so uh, that's something that you need some help with, right? Yes. Uh, about I mean, how many boxes do you have uh, ready to go that need to be shipped down there? We have 12 boxes as of right now. How big are the boxes? They're not big. They're moderate size. Do you know roughly dimensions? No, I don't. I'm sorry. But like, you know, because they fit in the back of somebody's pickup truck or... Or do you you need a bigger truck? Yeah, we probably need a bigger truck because we have... The boxes are pretty big. 
All right, so somebody that's heading down there that's, uh, you know, maybe bringing a shipment uh, of something else. My roommate's brother-in-law is a trucker that drives into New York every day. Well, maybe you can help out and get them delivered down there. Let me make a call. All right, so uh, Moniz will uh, definitely get back in touch with you uh, and let you know if that can happen. But in the meantime, too, if anybody else wants to help out, uh, is there a way that they can get in touch with you? Well. I mean, maybe an email address you could give them or website? Um, yes, I can give an email address. Just because it would be better than giving your phone number. So uh, what's what's the email address where they can get a hold of you? The email address is jmark 960 at gmail.com. Okay, so jmark916 at gmail.com? Yes. And so if anybody can help out, and because this is something that I'm assuming that you're going to keep going uh, right up until the holidays? Um, we're probably going to keep it going for another two weeks. Okay. Just to make because sure everything can get down there and distri- distributed in time? Yes. All right, so, uh, and now... Uh, I mean, how is that going to be handled? Uh, is, is I know that you're working with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation on this. So uh, We're actually working with um, a local mom who lives down in Staten Island, okay. and she's going to deliver the toys, hand-deliver the toys to a neighborhood that has a lot of kids in it. And, and I assume that they've been pretty hard hit with, with damage down there? Yes. Well, it sounds like a great thing, and I I hope that people continue to make donations. Again, they can drop them off at the Shawmut Diner and uh, and at at Normandon as well. What did you say? At Normandon Middle School as well? Yes. Okay, so again, uh, Shawmut Diner, Normandon Middle School. If you're not sure where either one of those locations are, uh, you can always bring them here to WBSM because Phil will make sure he gets them over to the diner uh, as well. He's here Monday through Friday, so... Uh, if anybody's not sure how to get to either of those places, uh, they can do that. They can also email again. It's j m a r q nine sixteen at aol at uh, gmail dot com. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for doing this, and keep us up to date with uh, with how everything goes. I will. Thank you. All right. Have a great night. All righty. And thank you for for caring so much. No problem. Have a great night. Bye. All right. Well, that is great. I mean, when when a fifteen year old kid can show that kind of initiative to help out families that are in need. That's a wonderful thing. And speaking of families in need, before we get into our discussion with Marie D. Jones about time travel, uh, which is uh, tonight's topic, uh, we do have uh, somebody who is near and dear to the Spooky South Coast family who suffered a tragedy uh, recently. tragedy. Yes, uh, they lost their house and uh, and all their possessions in in a fire. one or two of their uh, pets. And now there's been a, a, a... a charitable page set up to be able to Correct. make donations for them. So I'll get that up on the screen uh, a little bit later on in the program, and we'll share it. I don't know how much uh, how, how public we want to go with with the names of the people that were involved, um, but they are involved with the the page. So uh, we'll see what's what's set up on the page before we make any announcements. But it is a longtime friend of the program, and uh, they couldn't have had a worse time to have this kind of stuff happen. Uh, but if there's, when is a good time to have true. something not like that? Absolutely. But, uh, if there's, if there's two people who are strong enough to make it through something like this, it's, it's definitely this couple. So yes. we'll share that information a little bit later on in the program if we can. Uh, but now we're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we will be joined by the one, the only Marie D Jones talking about her new book. This book is from the future, a journey through portals, relativity, wormholes, and other adventures in time travel. And uh, we will be talking all about time travel, the different possibilities, uh, the different theories, maybe some of the different time travelers who have already come and visited us. We'll get into all that more coming up with our guest, Marie D. Jones, in just a few minutes after this break here on Spooky Southwest. 
Finance their studies through school loans. I will amuse myself with terror. Hello. Hey, man. What? You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. Alright, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we are getting ready to talk about time travel with our guest, Marie D. Jones. But before that, uh, we do have the information about uh, two things, actually. One, in that conversation that we were just having with Olivia Marks about her uh, toy drive, the boxes are 11 by 15. Uh, they're all the same size. So if anybody can help out with boxes of that size, getting them down to Staten Island, uh, just, again, jmarq 916 at gmail.com is the address to let them know. And uh, you can also let us know, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And the other uh, thing that we were talking about, the uh, <sighs> their name is on the site, so I will give it out. I, again, I feel bad sharing personal information uh, about this tragedy, but uh, it is the Jenny and John Horrigan Relief Fund. Now, those of you who know John Horrigan's work with the Mass Monster Mash, you know uh, his work in cryptozoology and in all aspects of the paranormal. Uh, he's been a longtime friend of the show. He's been involved in some of our most classic episodes, The Hunt for the Dover Demon, The Roswell Smackdown, uh, some of these many shows that we've done over the years. Uh, uh, he's just a, a fantastic guy and, and a very busy guy, and uh, he's always uh, out on the road announcing various uh, sports games and, and military enactments, reenactments and uh, lecturer. I mean, he's just a, a great friend uh, to both the historical and the paranormal communities. And uh, him and his wife, Jenny, they lost their house uh, in, a, in a fire. And uh, it was a very, very devastating loss. Uh, they lost everything. And it was basically due through, through some faulty work that was done in the house. So uh, nothing of their own doing. And, and they desperately need your help. So uh, if you go to youcaring.com, that's uh, Y-O-U-C-A-R-I-N-G.com, youcaring.com. You can uh, search for the Jenny and John Horrigan Relief Fund. Uh, again, they're, they're trying to raise $50,000 to help them get back everything that they lost. And, and uh, so far, they've raised about $3,000, but there's still 116 days left. So plenty of time to donate. Again, youcaring.com. If you need the link, just email me, Tim, at SpookySouthCoast.com, or uh, hit me up on Facebook, and I will make sure I get you the information to make a donation to help the Horrigans uh, at least get back some semblance of normalcy to their life. So, uh, again, uh, our best wishes out to the Horrigans. And uh, if you do know them and you have been uh, acquainted with them over the years uh, because they are part of the Spooky family, I'm sure a number of our listeners have been, they have asked that uh, people kind of, you know, take a step back here and, and not contact them during this time because uh, right now they're still in communication and, and with family and, and trying to get everything going uh, to, to try to make things a little bit better and more normal for them as the holidays head in. So uh, please, uh, you know, try to refrain from getting in touch with them directly, but you can get in touch with the fund through youcaring.com. So that's, uh, that's our little 
hopefully that'll help a little bit in helping them get back uh, everything that they lost. So, all right, now let's get into our discussion for tonight's program. Marie D. Jones is a best-selling author, screenwriter, researcher, radio show host, and public speaker. Her work includes 2013, End of Days or a New Beginning, Science, How New Discoveries in Quantum Physics and New Science May Explain the Existence of Paranormal Phenomena, and Destiny versus Choice. She's a co-host on the popular Dreamland radio show, interviewing luminaries in the fields of the paranormal, science, unknown anomalies, and alternative history. She also spent 15 years as a field investigator for MUFON in Los Angeles and San Diego, and currently serves as Director of Special Projects for the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team. Marie is a highly regarded and popular speaker on science, metaphysics, consciousness, and the paranormal, and has appeared at major conferences and events. She also lectured to local and regional meetup groups, networking organizations and libraries, bookstores, and author events. And again, her latest work, which we'll be talking about tonight, is this book, is From the Future, A Journey Through Portals, Relativity, Wormholes, and Other Adventures in Time Travel, co-written with Larry Flaxman, and we bring her onto the program. Good evening, Marie. Thank you for joining us on the show. How are you? Good. Good oh. to talk to you guys. It's great to talk with you, and it's it's always great to read one of your books because I go into it, <laughs> you know, f- feeling like myself, and I come out of it feeling so much smarter. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> and then I forget it all. By yeah, the, exactly. By the... <laughs> yeah, so do I. Trust me, I wrote it. <laughs> well, that's not good because I we know. need you to remember it tonight while you I know, can share I know. with our audience. I, it's funny because, you know, Larry and I talk about how we written so many books and we sometimes forget which book was what and what we wrote in what book and this oh your brain just gets so full of stuff that we need to have like a dump (laughs) a brain dump well i mean luckily though you do have the written word and you're able to kind of chronicle all that research and yeah for for the amount of books that that you've written both uh, on your own and and with larry and and even with your dad uh, you know you must be putting in so much research before you even put pen to paper or, or, or finger to keyboard in this case. Yeah, and, and, you know, I would say that research is probably 75% of the work. Because once you have everything in place that you know you want to say and you've got all your research, it really writing is just filling in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And um, So you have to really like to research, which I do, but, it, you know, it's exhausting. And to do books back-to-back the way that I have been and with Larry, it. Yeah, it can get really exhausting. But really, when you're writing nonfiction, that's probably the biggest chunk of what you spend your time doing. How do you and and Larry or or yourself individually, how do you decide what topics you want to tackle next? I mean, do you have kind of a game plan, a a board of of, uh, numerous, you know, like, you know, professional sports teams have their draft board. (laughs) Do you have like your your draft draft board board. of topics? (laughs) Um, Usually, Larry and I are tossing, if we're working together, even if I'm working alone, There'll be some ideas that you're thinking about that you're tossing around, and ultimately you pitch it to your publisher, and they'll kind of, you know, I mean, we have a lot of say in what we're going to write, but sometimes the publisher will say, well, you know, this idea is a little more timely, or let's go with this one. In the case of two books, um, 11, no, actually three that Larry and I did, 11.11, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, The Deja Vu Enigma, and this time travel book, it really was our publisher, New Page Books, coming to us and saying, have you ever thought about writing about this? And it's just been wonderful because uh, 11.11 was the biggest book that Larry and I did together um, so far. We're hoping the time travel book will will be even bigger. And it's just really cool that, you know, we, we have a publisher that we've worked with that has such great ideas that they're 
willing to offer us if we don't have something that we're really high on or real passionate on. Well, what, what fascinates me about your work is that you always seem to have, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of right on the cusp of what the next big discussion point might be in the paranormal, and you're able to come out and, and simplify the explanation of it, uh, but at the same time, you know, these, these books could be used as textbooks in, in classrooms uh, with the amount of information that you have in them. That's something that, um, you know, when I wrote Science, which was my first, I call it my first big book, I had actually written another nonfiction book before that, but it was more just sort of fun social commentary. But with science, what I learned is how important it is to give people their money's worth with a book because, especially now, buying books is not, I mean, it's, it's considered a luxury. It's not something that people have to do. You know, it's not mm-hmm. something you need to survive. So I always felt like, and then when Larry and I started working together, we felt like we want be able to write books where you could just buy one book and get enough from reading that one book. But if you wanted to continue doing your own research or looking into something, we're giving you, in our bibliography, more direction. Or we're offering, um, you know, in part of the research, we're telling you here are some other books, some other names that you can go look into on your own. But we really want to just provide a real foundational education or, or just a real basic you know, place for people to start at and make them get their money's worth. Well, now, before you started working on, on this book, this book is from the future, what were your thoughts on time travel? I mean, did you think it was possible uh, oh, before you wow. did the research? I, you know, it is so funny because I have done a complete about-face, but not in what you think. In terms of the scientific stuff, I kind of knew what was going on because, you know, we, we were already fascinated by the subject. Who's not? I mean, really, sure. you know, who is not into this? So I was kind of aware of what was going on ahead of time, and I knew what the challenges and the paradoxes were, and I knew that there were all kinds of obstacles that had to be overcome scientifically. But I figured we are smart enough. I mean, this human species, we are so innovative and resourceful, and the way that technology and progress and knowledge is just, Exploding, yeah, we'll figure it out. But what really shocked me and Larry as well, which we were not expecting when we went into the book, was that our own personal feelings about time travel would change. And that came from looking at the ethics of time travel. Now, you know, who would think of something like that? The the ethical, um, moral aspect of whether or not we have a right to tamper with the past and even the future, knowing that if we do, it could alter the past and future of so many other people that we come in contact with. So as we were learning more about the sort of, you know, the more quantum aspects of time, it really got different for us because, you know, we would talk and say, oh, I'd say, Larry, if you could go back in time, when would you go back? And he'd go back to the 80s because he's such an 80s freak. Or he'd go back to building the pyramids, yeah. Some people like Moniz have never left. (laughs) I know, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I thought, oh, I would say when I would go back and I would do this and I would change that, because isn't that the first thing you think of? If you could go back in time, what would you change? Sure, and and some of us pick something, uh, you know, of our own lives, and some of us pick something on a grander scale. I mean, you you hear so many people say, "Well, I'd go back and I'd you know stop the Holocaust," or "I'd you know I'd go back and stop the Kennedy assassination." And uh, but like you said, there's the ethical matters. You you don't know what happens if you change what's already been. 
And I'll tell you, this is what is so interesting. As we were writing the book, I was I had gotten a copy of Stephen King's novel eleven twenty two sixty three, which is all about time travel. A great book too. Oh, a real awesome. return to form for him too. Yeah. Totally, and you know, he did so much research with a research partner into the time travel paradoxes and the ethics and morals of time travel that I almost felt like, why do I even need to write this book? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my son, he's my young son, turned me on to this Family Guy episode where they, uh, Stewie and Brian, go back in time and they try to somehow stop nine eleven or whatever. And it was the same type of thing. It was about you know, if you go back and you try to fix the past how you might actually be breaking the present and the future. And all of that really shifted the focus, because we started the book out with the fascination of the pop culture, how it's just totally permeated every aspect of pop culture, from movies to TV to books to video games, you know, you name it, and the cool science behind it. And we came out of the book thinking so much more about, do we have a right to do this even if we do achieve the technology one day? Right, it's it's almost like it's it's along the lines of human cloning. You know, just because we can do yeah. it, does that mean that we should? Exactly, and people will say, and here's what's really interesting. Or have we already? Oh, I'm sure we have, yeah. Well. But the, you know, the, the, the thing about cloning is, yeah, it can do some good things medically. I'm sure it can help, you know, provide organs and cure diseases, but it's the negative side of it because I, I always feel like we human beings have a hard time controlling ourselves. And seeing, you know, we want to push it all the way to the edge of the envelope, and maybe we're not supposed to do that. Whereas if we could just control what we're doing with some of these real tenuous things, like time travel and cloning, we'd be okay. And I can just see with time travel, people who don't understand the paradoxes, who don't understand the ethics, just totally taking advantage of being able to go back and change their own past because they're selfish, you know narcissistic that don't care about anybody else and not realizing the damage that they could do to the other people that they've come in contact with because we're all connected so your timeline is connected to mine and vice versa and of course there's ways around that if if you know there are such things as parallel universes we can maybe escape some of that but yeah that was really really shocking i was not expecting to come away with that I mean, normally, though, the only time ethics come into play is when you were talking about, like you said, the pop culture references, and time travel has become such a plot device that people (laughs) no longer look at it it as a scientific possibility or impossibility. They look at more of it as how to direct a storyline. And you know what's funny, though? I mean, a lot of times, if you look back on old science fiction short stories and novels, all the way back to the late 1700s through the 1800s, how they, they imagined the science of the future. It's almost like the science fiction of the past becomes the science fact of of tomorrow. So it's really fascinating to see how some of these shows and some of these books and and short stories sort of, you know, they were a little precognitive in their imagining and envisioning the future. But I do think it's become very acceptable for people to think, oh, yeah, time travel, we can do it. We're going to be able to do it. And, And there's no problems. They don't realize that there are problems. And people will say, well, what if I just want to go back and observe? Like, what if I want to go back and observe the birth of Christ and the life of Christ to see if it's anything like, you know, <laughs> Christianity tells us? 
But the problem is we know from, you know, from quantum physics that just the act of observation and measurement will alter the behavior of particles. It could change the outcome of what it is you're observing. So even in that aspect, even if you don't want to go back and change a thing, uh, just by doing like It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Carol where you just go back and look at what it would be like if you were never born, you could be changing something and, and tampering with things that you don't really want to be. So it does give you pause. But I, you know what? We'd probably all still do it, wouldn't we? I would. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, if it all came down to it, I'd probably be like, oh, God, all right, yeah. <laughs> Mind if I ask you a couple of questions about actual events, quote-unquote, dealing with time travel and time slips? Ask what you want. I'll try to answer them. <laughs> All right. Are you, are you familiar with the Rendlesham-Forest incident? Oh, absolutely. All right. Betty so Randall's, uh, or some, I forgot what the name of the book was. But, uh, well, I'm actually part of the book that was written. Were you? Le- yeah, Left at Eastgate by Peter Robbins oh, and okay. Larry yeah, Warren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but are you familiar with uh, Jim Pendison's ca- case in that particular story? He's the person that actually physically touched the craft. Touched the craft, okay. and he received information. And he right. he's like gone off on a um, let's call it a, a mission about that these were actually time travelers. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no. go look go look up a lot of Jim Pendison stuff, and he's actually gotten a lot of information that uh, you may find extremely intriguing. Yeah, I remember reading how he sort of when he touched it, kind of felt zapped or, or just real disoriented and correct and, and wasn't he seeing like diagrams or, or correct like they were there were raised right okay they were raised um pictograms and yeah. the, these pictograms searches have also found have also found themselves around the world right, right. and this also leads to other time travel things now i'm also interested in your opinion of the john tedor case Oh, you know, that's not such a tough one because my first instinct is, yeah, you're right, you know, I'm, I'm a real skeptic. I was not around when he was posting and doing everything, so for me, you know, learning about it was after the fact. Well, for those, for those who might not be familiar with the John Teeter story, I mean, maybe you could give us a little bit of a background. Yeah, well, apparently in the early 2000s, I think it started in 2000, 2001, Actually, it was before that was in the 90s, actually. In the 90s, yeah, back when there were bulletin boards instead of, you know, like Facebook and stuff. (laughs) It's funny, you think back on how ancient those things were. The Um, pre-Al Gore days. Right, there you go. Um, This person starts posting uh, that he was a time traveler from, I think this is the year 2036, and... For some strange reason, he had been sent back here to retrieve a very archaic, like, IBM computer system. Parts to one, yes. There you go. Parts. You probably know more than I do. Um, but anyway. He may be John Teeter. I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. I told you. Hey, you know, wouldn't that be cool if we can, we can identify? Well, anyway, so he was supposedly a soldier, and he was doing some kind of special time travel project, quote-unquote, and started posting... Um, predictions and like almost prophetic predictions about things that would come in the future over the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so, and posting information about this time machine that he had, which he kept quite strangely in the rear of, I think it was a Chevy Corvette. Yep. 
and he actually put up instruction manuals and pictures. We we have a couple in the book, and so anyway, this went on for a while. He was, uh, I believe, he called in and talked to Art Bell for a number of times on coast to coast. Nobody could figure out who he was. Um, he engaged people for a while. He had a lot of followers, and then I believe he just sort of vanished. And there were some attempts to identify him. There were some people that thought that there were people that were associated with him that were the real John Teeter. But I do believe that to this day nobody knows who it was, uh, what happened to him. It was To me it was, you know, one of the big urban legends of time travel. I mean, anybody can go on a computer bulletin board or call coast to coast and pretend to be something. Well, some of his photographs that he produced were quite interesting. They the were. Ben- they the were. bending of light and several other Right, uh, and I believe items. there was um, a, a gentleman who patented or tried to patent uh, the manual, some of the information in the manual, the device itself. Correct. But, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, we've got other time travel conspiracies. We've got, uh, a you know, a general who claimed that he's, he's passed away now, but he claimed that he was... Exxon? Uh, Hoover with oh. Roswell that he uh, saw the entities that he believed them to be time travelers from the future that they could manipulate consciousness this is a very high ranking uh, military official that claimed to have access to the Roswell crash uh, you know materials and the entities there is it, the this isn't Exxon General Exxon he may have been one of them, but this is George Hoover. Is, yeah, Hoover's the one that shared yeah. his information with Bill Burns, right? Right, with yeah. an, and his son, who, you know, and again, we don't have proof of any of this, but, you know, that's a little interesting. Uh, and I've heard other people talk about the Roswell case in terms of time travel as well. I think that's really interesting that in the field of ufology, you're hearing that a lot more, that if these are advanced civilizations that have figured out how to get from, you know, there to here, might they be time travelers? Well, that's something I'd like to definitely discuss a bit more coming up in the second hour because we've only got a few minutes here before we have to take a break for the news, Marie. But coming back, I want to talk about some of these other stories of time travel over the years. Uh, And then I want to get into a lot of the theory behind some of it because it's not as out there as some people might think. Uh, Right, right. What we talk about as theories that could make time travel possible could also be applied to the other work that we do in the paranormal. And, you know, I think some of these same theories could apply to, like you said, UFOs and also could apply to ghosts and all kinds of psi phenomena. So uh, we'll talk about all that coming up in the second hour after the news break. But before we let you go here for the first hour, uh, we just want to give our condolences to the entire Fate Magazine family. Uh, this week, uh, the great David Godwin passed away, right. the amazing Godwin, yeah. as, uh, as he was known for many years. Uh, he, he was born in January of 1939. Uh, he actually died this past October, uh, but they just went public with the information. He had earned a Bachelor of Journalism degree from the University of Texas at Austin, and he was a past master of the Masonic Lodge Number 3 in St. Paul and a longtime student of the Kabbalah, Occult Lore, and Magic. Uh, he also authored a number of books, including uh, Godwin's Kabbalistic Encyclopedia, The Truth About Kabbalah, Light and Extension, and How to Choose Your Own Tarot, uh, as well as editing Fate for uh, over a decade uh, as a managing editor and, and writing a few books for them as well. So uh, our condolences again go out to the entire Fate magazine family, especially to his uh, his best friend and, and editor-in-chief, Phyllis Galdi, and uh, to everyone over there. So uh, we lost a, a great champion of the paranormal and uh, a great chronicler of the paranormal as well. So uh, Godspeed to you, the amazing Godwin. All right, we are coming up on the news 
break. And uh, we will be back again, as I said, to talk more with Marie D. Jones about her book. This book is from the future. And actually, this book is from the future because I'm holding it in my hand right here. So this particular one in my hand is from the future. (laughs) And uh, we will discuss that more in depth during the next hour. If you want to pick up a copy of the book, you can do so by going to Marie's website, mariedjones.com, and it's also linked up on spookysouthcoast.com as well. So if you go to our website, click on the picture of Marie that pops up in the slideshow. It'll take you to her page there, uh, and you can purchase the book right on the site as well. And uh, Marie, uh, you've got all your your books up on your website as well. How How many titles altogether now? Um, Lara and I actually just signed a new book deal, so this for me will be number 11, and for Larry and I will be, oh God, 6, number 6. And we were talking earlier about uh, how much time we spend sitting in chairs here doing the program. <laughs> I can only imagine what it must be like for you. You must be standing up and like jogging in place sometimes while typing. Yeah, I, I write real erratically. I mean, I'm not one of those write-every-day people, so... Um I make sure I move around. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, you'll never get me out of this chair. And sooner or later, there's got to be a book of your many Facebook postings as well. Yes, I hear people are collecting them. <laughs> i, I got to say, for, for writing what's probably uh, like what? Uh, uh, how many thousand words in one of these books would you say? Oh, 65, 70,000? 75, 75, 80, yeah. So uh, you're probably writing an equal amount on social media I know, while you're writing you know what? That's my way of blowing off steam when I'm doing all this research. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd probably jump off a cliff. So, <laughs> All right. Well, don't do that uh, no, between I now won't. and the next hour because we'll be back in just a few minutes following the news where we will talk more about time travel again with Marie D. Jones. If you want to check out our website, mariedjones.com, also linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you want to call in at any point with questions, you can do so by calling in at 508-996-0500, You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com or jump in the chat room on SpookyTV at SpookySouthCoast.com. That's the best way because now I can see on the monitor that we brought into the studio. So we'll be able to ask your questions on the air as well. So we'll be right back with more. Here on Spooky South Coast, we're going to time travel right now. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. AM 1420, WBSA presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg. And Matt Costa. Welcome back. Our number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg, here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And now we are about to get really deep into the discussion on time travel with tonight's guest, Marie D. Jones. She's the co-author, along with Larry Flaxman, of This Book is from the Future. A Journey Through Portals, Relativity, Wormholes, and Other Adventures in Time Travel. And if you have any questions during the course of the discussion, feel free to call in with them. 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. And for those of you listening on podcast, uh, it almost is like time travel because you're uh, going back to Saturday night and you missed your chance to call in with questions. That's why you got to listen live Saturday nights from 10 to midnight Eastern Time. And join in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. You're missing so much more of the program by waiting. But then again, you know, a lot of people are using us to help while away some of the hours of their week, so we appreciate that as well. Uh, Over 2 million downloads now for the program. 
Not too shabby. Not and too like shabby. a million of those have come in the last five five to six weeks. So it <laughs> uh, just shows that uh, either all of a sudden we got really good or uh, for the first five years we were absolutely terrible. One of the, one of the two. Either way. We'll take it. So, uh, yeah, we're actually we're coming up on uh, on anniversary number seven this January. So, lucky seven. And uh, who knows? Will we get the seven-year itch or will we get the seven-year <coughs> syndication <coughs> deal? Let's hope so. All right, let's get back into the discussion with our guest, Marie D. Jones. And, and Marie, we were talking uh, in the first hour uh, about you know the process of writing the book and, and uh, your own beliefs in time travel going into it, but... With all, with all the different potential theories behind the possibility of time travel, it's hard to read this book and not come out thinking uh, th- that not only is it possible, but that someday we will figure it out. Yeah, and uh, you know, Michio Kaku, who is a uh, brilliant theoretical physicist and, and one of my idols, I mean, he has a great quote where he says basically what time travel comes down to is, you know, the technology. We, we can do it, we just need the technology. And I'm p- totally paraphrasing. <laughs> Um, every time we come up with a new theory, we get a little bit closer to something that might actually work. And, and there's so many different challenges and obstacles that we have to deal with, you know, overcoming faster-than-light speed. We haven't found anything that can do that, especially if something has mass. It would require just an infinite amount of energy to, to get that object to move at a faster-than-light uh, speed. We've come close with certain particles. If tachyons exist, there's a lot of theory about the possibility that they could exceed light speed. There was a, an experiment, I think it was last year, a couple of years ago. My time frame is totally off. <laughs> uh, where, <laughs> no pun no intended. I know, really. Where neutrinos, um, which are particles without mass, they actually thought that they had breached light speed. And, of course, it turned out that there were all kinds of problems and issues with some of the um, equipment and technology and the GPS tracking and whatnot, and so they decided that, no, indeed, they, they had not done that. But the idea is that there may be an unknown particle as of yet that could breach light speed, and we might be able to extrapolate that information to an actual physical object. Uh, it's just, you know, I mean, come on, television 500 years ago, right. cell phones, yeah, it's going to happen. The things that we have to overcome, again, are the paradoxes. Um, breaching light speed, finding a way to do it, and, you know, literally manipulating the space-time continuum. And there's been so many different theories about things like, you know, loops and closed timelines, like, time-like curves where you have like a loop where something that starts off in the past will go into the future and then return to the past. But there's always something wrong or something missing from each theory. The big one now, there are two big ones actually, is trying to find a type of wormhole that would be stable enough and uh, we could keep the throat of it open with some type of exotic matter that we don't yet know exists, that we could actually get something, whether it's information or a particle or an object or even light itself, because right now light can't get through a wormhole. Uh, where we could get it, you know, through the opening and out the other side, <laughs> into the black hole, out the white hole. That's a theory that is really popular in the scientific community, as well as, obviously, throughout science fiction. And the other one is the idea of the multiverse or parallel universes, where there are also alternate timelines. 
so that if, if we wanted to get around the paradoxes, and when I say paradoxes, I'll give the example of the most common, and that is the matricide or the grandfather paradox, where if you were to go back to the past and shoot your grandfather, you wouldn't exist. You know, that would pretty much end your existence. So how could you exist to be able to go back to the past and shoot your grandfather? It's like a loop. But one of the ways around that is the idea that there is another universe that branches off where you do exist or where you don't exactly kill your grandfather or this, that, and the other thing. And that gets into the whole multiverse theory, which you were talking about earlier, can also be applied possibly to uh, paranormal phenomenon, trying to understand where some of this stuff comes from. So it seems like every time we come up with a great theory or a great idea, there's always one little thing... (laughs) Uh, that that stops it from being workable, but we're getting closer. See, and, I, but brilliant minds working on this stuff, you know. <laughs> sure, and and of course, uh, one of the most brilliant minds to ever tackle the subject of time travel was uh, Dr. Samuel Beckett, who yeah. uh, <laughs> created all my uh, hopes and dreams about time travel uh, with Quantum Leap. But <laughs> there you go. And but, how about Doctor Who? I mean, come on! All we need oh, is that yeah. artist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with with Quantum Leap, though, the idea on that show is that when uh-huh. somebody did travel back in time uh, and, and something was changed, then the timeline skewed off into a different direction. Right, Same thing with, like, Back timeline. to the Future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it, Now, would that be just an alternate timeline, or would that be one of these alternate universes? It could, it could, you know, I mean, you've got to figure if it's an alternate universe, it's going to have its own timeline. Why do we assume that it would operate on the same timeline as this one? I would think each universe has its own laws of physics, has its own timeline. And what I love about shows like that is a lot of times they have scientific consultants that work on those shows, that provide the research and, you know, here's what's going on today, here's some of the theories that are out there. So some of those shows you may laugh at, and yet they probably are giving you a good education of some of the real discussions and real theories that are going on out there. Now, uh, a blue police box, you know, maybe that's a little far-fetched, the, the whole TARDIS thing, but or the DeLorean. But some of these shows, um, certainly they're trying to add a little bit of science, just like the short stories of, you know, H.G. Wells and Charles Dickens. and They're really tackling in their own way the science of their time and what theoretically might be possible in the future. And that's why I love science fiction. I honestly believe that a lot of science fiction becomes science fact. No, because it's the science fiction that's inspiring the scientists of the future. Yeah. Or of the present, too. Right, because what you've got is you've got writers who probably have read all the the research because they're fascinated by it, but they're allowed to imagine beyond the, the confines and the limitations and the obstacles. They're allowed to imagine and go way out there where a lot of scientists don't go in their work because they're sticking to what they can prove. So, yeah, I mean, they're paving the way for ideas. I mean, look at Star Trek, all of the the physics of Star Trek, and it's a fantastic book, by the way. Um, Things that teleportation and cloaking. I mean, we have achieved cloaking of two- and three-dimensional objects. I love the idea that you can read something that is fictional and get a glimpse into what might be coming down the road. Now... I work in analytical chemistry, uh-huh. and there's a, um, a, it was a game that was actually introduced, and it was called Fold It, and it was 
set out into the public, and what it allowed people to do was fold proteins. Oh, people wow. didn't understand really what it was. It was just a game yeah. that had a, had a set of parameters, and within three weeks, they solved the issue or the problem of how AIDS transmutes oh, through. Okay. So. Uh, they're, they're doing the same thing now with RNA. Now, if, who's to say if they can't take the same technology, you know, the, the bits and pieces that they have, and put it towards time travel and put it out into the population and let them work the problem? Absolutely. And I think that's happening. You know, there's probably people in their basements right now that are not serial killers. They're just doing their own research and developing their own time machines. And there's, of course, been a lot of conspiracies and urban legends about people that are doing that and that the government is already doing it. But, yeah, I mean, I think that that's what's so great about shows like Quantum Leap and movies like Looper and, you know, Back to the Future and what have you, um, Jumpers. Was it called Jumpers? or Leapers. Wasn't there one? Leapers. Quantum Leap. Right. But there was another one, too. It was like a group of young people. Sliders. Sliders. Thank you. I knew it was one of those words. (laughs) (laughs) But these, you know, they're putting ideas in, I mean, most people will watch that stuff from a purely entertainment point of view, but mm-hmm. there are people that will watch it and they will be inspired or something will come to them. They're, they're very inventive. Uh, you know, they're totally into time travel. Yeah, I think that that's a great idea, and I think that the, uh, the presence of time travel material out there is it's only a matter of time before somebody's going to say, hey, I did it, I did it, you know. I overcame the paradoxes, and this is how. So it may not come from the research community. It may come from some maverick, you know, brilliant science brain in, in his or her basement. But that's how some of the best inventions come about. Now, Absolutely. One, Absolutely. Of the, uh, one of the devices that you can say we got from Star Trek, a lot of people point to you know, the communicators yeah. as being the precursor of today's cell phone, and cell phones recently created a little bit of a buzz in the, in the time travel community when uh, this, this still surfaced from the, from the uh, Charlie Chaplin film, yeah. and uh, it looked like a person maybe from the future talking on a cell phone. Oh my gosh, that's trippy. Yeah, and there's a little video, too, that you can watch of that during uh, during the filming of The Circus. It was 1928, where there is what looks like a woman, although, you know, a lot of people think it's a man dressed as a woman. could be just a, a cast extra or something, walking through the scene. I'm actually, To tell you the truth, I'm more fascinated by the striped horse pretending <laughs> to be a zebra. <laughs> but anyway, there's this person, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, you can Google Charlie Chaplin time travel, and believe me, you'll get it. Um, walking through this scene, holding something up to her ear that looks like a phone, you know, like a cell phone, and, and looks like the person is talking into it. So, of course, everybody, oh, my gosh, back then they didn't have cell phones, and they didn't even have, you know, walkie-talkies or anything like that. The funny thing is, though, just with a little bit of research, um, we were able to find there was a company called Siemens that did uh, hearing aids. And they had a really big clunky one that came out back in, I think, 1906 or 1908. So you got to figure, you know, 10, 10 or so years later, they probably had streamlined it a bit. So, uh, you know, some people are thinking, well, maybe she's adjusting her hearing aid or talking in her hearing aid, except the problem is, you don't talk into a hearing aid. Right. You listen to somebody who's talking to you. And what do, what does Siemens make now? 
What do they make now? Cell, Cell phones? phones. Do they really? Oh, I didn't read that. <coughs> Disinformation. So maybe she was um, testing me. their first prototype. Uh, maybe. But it's fascinating. I mean, there's other pictures that we found. There's one guy on a bridge opening uh, it, it, it was in the 40s, I think, where he looks like he's completely out of place because he's dressed in modern clothing. There are um, several photographs I'm aware of like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there's you know there's always people that are able to somehow debunk them or or attempt. No, I know it. the photograph she's talking about. It said some sort of bridge opening. Like yeah, a, let me the, see. I'm gonna find. He's wearing a a um a, a type of t-shirt shirt and like a leather and, jacket yeah, like that shades. that had not been invented yet. Right. That particular yeah, style had not been invented. Modern dude. his he's modern glasses. Like, totally hip. Yeah. You know, hipster yeah. sunglasses. Yeah. On. A hipster is, in the 40s. This is yeah. coming from a guy who looks out of place in every photograph he's ever in, in my yeah, co-host Matt Moniz. Yeah, but <laughs> He may have been like a fashion designer who was testing out a new look. But yes. you know what's fascinating to me is that you see something like that and your first thought is as a time traveler. I, I would not think that, but hey, who well, knows? I, I can tell you that the whole Charlie Chaplin thing, as much as it fascinated me, I figured out really quick that it couldn't really be a time traveler talking on a cell phone for one simple reason. I can't get a cell phone signal in my house. I know. So how did this person get one in the 1920s? There were no cell towers. I mean, that must have been really amazing. They were picking it up from another planet. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And these this, these things go viral, and then it's like you can't shut them up. Right. You what cannot if- put them down, you know? I got a question for you. Are you familiar with the New York cowboy case? Is that the well? I well, don't know. There's about a couple of them actually. Yeah, because I know there's one where a guy showed up just out on the street. He almost got hit by a taxi or something, and he did was, get hit. Yeah, he did get hit. Yeah, but the cowboy one, no, I don't think I've heard that one. Well, th- there's a couple of them. One of them involved a guy that was supposed to be hung, and he disappeared and showed up literally sixty, seventy years later. And not in the same spot, roughly, but he hadn't aged a day. I'm trying to remember the name of the exact oh, wow. case. And um, photographs and the people and other witnesses that were alive verified, yeah, this is the man. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of examples like that. And I hate to, I would never, ever say that they're BS because I wasn't there. I don't know. Um, my first instinct with anything like that is always, oh, it's, you know, it, it, it's somebody's misinterpreting something or it, it's an urban legend that somehow got exploded, you know, went viral. But how do we know? I mean, mm-hmm. if time travel, a lot of theoretical physicists will tell you that if there are advanced civilizations, their technology will look like magic to us. Okay, that's how far ahead they will be. So why would we not possibly think that some of them are showing up here, you know, whether they're time traveling or just coming from another part, another part of the multiverse, and they're going to be out of time, they're going to be, uh, look like magic to us. Maybe John Teeter was one of these people. So I never want to completely discount any of these stories, even though my first gut instinct is always kind of like with the paranormal. It's always, yeah, okay, I believe you, but now you've got to prove it to me. Um, so I think it's really going to come down to somebody coming forward with just such you know, undeniable proof 
that they are from the future or the past or what have you. And I don't know how you the, would do that. The argument that we always hear, though, is if time travel was possible, you know, somebody would have gone and stopped the Civil War. Somebody would have right, gone and stopped, right. you know, the Holocaust. But isn't it possible that time travelers could have caused those things? That they could have yeah, played a hand in that regard? Or, or maybe, you know, like the with the whole incident of the, the whole idea of the paradoxes, mm-hmm. you know, they can't interfere with them. Exactly. And, you know, Stephen Hawking has his own paradox that he calls the chronology protect, oh, what is it, protection conjecture, something like that, uh, where he believes that we're not meant to time travel, that there are laws built into the universe, into the cosmos, laws of physics that will prevent time travel from ever happening because it could unravel, you know, the very fabric of existence. And Larry and I call it the Lady Gaga paradox. Maybe we're just born this way. We're not going to be able to physically travel through time. Now, I believe we're doing it mentally in many different ways. And that was a really fun part of the book to write, how we already are mentally time traveling. But we're such a physically oriented species that we want to be able to do it with our bodies. That's like the ultimate proof to us. Um, but maybe Stephen Hawking is right, and that there is something built into the fabric of the universe that absolutely will not allow for a time machine to ever be built. Well, what about uh, Montauk projects? Yeah, that was a big one, too. And again, here's a conspiracy, quote-unquote, involving uh, people that claim they were part of a time travel uh, research program under DARPA, and I believe it was back in the 70s. I think it went on for God, maybe about 20 years. And it involved everything from children that were being trained as chrononauts or uh, time travel astronauts being sent back into the past, uh, into the future, again using wormholes and manipulation of the electromagnetic field. There are other projects. I think one was called uh, Stargate where they claim that there are both natural and man-made wormholes or stargates all over the planet that can be utilized for time travel and that you know the government knows about them and some of them are are uh, naturally formed in the environment others have been manufactured i don't know somebody told me that area 51 the whole ufo thing is just a big cover for them doing time travel research now how can i prove that <laughs> to be right or wrong unless i'm actually there but you know? Well, I think that the idea of it is so – it's fascinating to people on a scientific level, but it's also fascinating to people on a you know a romantic storytelling level, too. Sure, sure. I mean, because we do live such limited lives, yeah. we, we'd like to be able to see what happens before and what happens after, right. uh, just our brief little flicker of existence. Well, well, people say, well, why would you write this book? Why is time travel so important to people? It's important to people because it's one of the few things that we cannot control. Mm -hmm. We can control our spatial existence to some degree. We can move about at will to the left, the right, here, there. You know, I can go to New York. I can go to Japan. I can go to the moon. Um, Although there are some limitations. I can't quite go to Pluto yet, but it's just a matter of time. So spatially... It's no longer a planet. Yeah, yeah, it is. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I know. But spatially, we can move about at will, pretty much. We can't do that with time, and it really upsets us. We can't control it. And the other thing is that we feel 
that we don't have enough of it. We're not utilizing time as best we can. I think that drives a lot of the the obsession with going back to the past and fixing things and changing things. So I think time travel has a huge sociological aspect to it that is completely linked to human behavior and what drives us. The only other thing that we can't control is death. We're going to die, you know. We can't control time, and it really makes us angry. But you also, you know, you mentioned the fact that time is something that we can't control. And the question is, though, is is there a need to control? I mean, time is kind of a, a construct of the human mind Absolutely. more than anything. And you spend a great deal of uh, the book yep. discussing Einstein and, and his theories into it, and, and he kind of felt the same way. Absolutely. He, you know, it's illusion. And when we started getting into the more mental and, and consciousness-related aspects of time and how the brain is structured to perceive linear time, but outside of the brain there's no such thing. That's when you start to realize that we need to step away from this physical drive to control time because we might already be doing it. I mean, let's look at things, you know, things like precognitive dreams and deja vu and all kinds of paranormal experiences, missing time, time slips, time shifts, time distortion, time anomalies, um, you know, people who have visions, and even prophecy to an extent, remote viewing. You left out one subject. Which one? Out-of-time artifacts. Oh, a, a porting? The oh. objects coming, moving through time, out-of-time artifacts, are out-of-time people? <laughs> yeah. All I right. guess there's so much of that, and that, we were so fascinated with that part of it, because it really, you know, you can go into an altered state of consciousness, and you can time travel. You can see into the future. I mean, you know, People do that all the time, and I've had visions of something not so good happening, and weeks later, it happens. I mean, I think that happens to quite a few people. Precognitive dreams. Oh, I thought you were about talking about going to Taco Bell. Yeah, well, you can pretty much <laughs> predict the future that if you go to Taco Bell, you're going to be sick the next day. Moniz can guarantee it every Sunday morning because he goes after the show. But, I mean, but like you're saying, though, time is something that is so subjective. I mean, uh, you know, Moniz and I could be sitting here doing the show, and at the end of the program, I could be like, wow, that flew by fast, and he could say, gee, that Absolutely. really dragged. Absolutely. Not that he would say that about you, Marie, but... Yeah, but, <laughs> you'd but, be like, oh, man, did that drag. It, <laughs> it is so subjective. Uh, each person experiences time differently, and even though we try to measure it mm -hmm. and try to have this, you know, linear uh, measurement of it, it, it's just, it's so subjective. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like... Please, people, let's stop focusing so much on our inability to maybe do something with the physical body when really it's the mind and, and consciousness that can rise beyond the limitations of the physical and do all of this. And, and a perfect example of that is Larry works in law enforcement, and you know he talked about to me about times when he was in a situation where you know somebody's got a gun to your head or there's just a very dangerous situation that and his partner have to go into, and this happens on the battlefield in war, um, where time literally slows to a crawl. And there's actually a physical reason for that happening. It's, it's to allow the brain a little bit of extra time to think of a survival method. Um, if you're in a really dangerous situation and time seems to slow down, that you're in slow motion, that's actually a survival mechanism. Now, on the other hand, if you're involved in something you really love to do, whether it's 
you know, fishing or golfing or writing or whatever, time will go by really fast. And you'll look at, up at the clock and say, oh, my God, six hours have passed. I thought only 20 minutes had gone by. So it, you're, you're right. It's totally subjective. It's totally relative to what we're doing. It's not linear except within the confines of our physicality. And that's what I think we need to overcome is, is maybe physically we may not be able to do it, although I think that's coming too. <laughs> you know? But how are we already doing it uh, beyond the physical self? But it's so hard because we've already been hardwired before we've been born that we're constantly trying to beat the clock. I mean, you know, when yeah, yeah. The, the, the first second you're born, you're already starting you're to die. Racing. I know, I know. And, it, you know, if you think about it, it makes sense. In order to have a meaningful life, things have to happen in a particular order. You have to be able to put events in, in order to give them meaning. Um, and also the whole idea of causality and that effect will always follow cause. Well, you're born, eventually you're going to, you know, the effect is <laughs> you're going to die. Uh, so there is this arrow of time that we are trapped by physically, at least as of now, who knows? We may evolve in a, in a million years into entities that live beyond time. But right now, this is what we're dealing with. And I think a lot of the frustration comes from people feeling like they're given a certain amount of time. They're not using it the best they can. So when they get to the end of their lives, or even before then, they want to go back and change things. I think that's why time travel is so popular. They, they're not living in the present, you know, they're worried about the past, stressing over the future. So then they reach a point where it's, oh, my God, I wish I could go back and do all those things I regretted not doing or not do the things I regretted doing. Um, and that's why a lot of the wise spiritual and religious sages and teachers always talk about focusing on the now because they know that beyond the physical confines of the body, there is no such thing as past, present, and future. There is only now the present moment i it's getting a little metaphysical there but i, I really think that that's where that was zen yeah <laughs> you know that's where this drive to overcome time and control it comes from our inability to do that well we are talking with marie d jones the co-author of this book is from the future along with larry flaxman and uh, if you want to call in with any thoughts or questions the numbers are 508-996-0500 one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. You can email them to us, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can jump into the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. It's right there under the live show heading at the top of the page. Uh, Murray, we did talk quite a bit about how you know time travel can be used as a plot device in a number of stories. And I got to ask you, what's your favorite time travel movie slash book? Oh God. <sighs> I love a lot of science fiction, but I've got to tell you, my favorite, because they're just, you know, the Christmas movies, I love, well, the, my favorite book is Stephen King's. I think he blew it out of the water mm -hmm. with his examination of the paradoxes. I, and for anybody who hasn't read it, you've got to read it. It's about somebody who was asked to go back in time and prevent the assassination of JFK. But what comes out of all of that is just absolutely mind-blowing. And like I said, I learned about time travel ethics from that book and from Ron Mallett, who is a theoretical physicist, who um, has written a book. His father passed away when he was young, and they were very close, and he made it his life's mission 
to develop a method of time travel to go back and, and help his father. So those are things that really drive me. But in terms of, like, fictional stories, for me the most fun are things like It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Carol. And the reason being is I think a lot of us, again, our obsession with time comes from wondering if we've spent our time well. And I love that those movies show you how you could think your life is, you know, no big deal and you really haven't touched a lot of people or inspired a lot of people. And yet if you were to go back and look at what everyone around you would be like had you not been born, um, that's fascinating to me, that idea of showing somebody how precious their time was and, you know, just sort of overcoming that feeling like, well, I haven't used my life, the time that I've been given, very well. I I love those. Well, we have a couple questions that have popped up in the chat room over the course of the night. And one question is, uh, is how familiar are you with the, the Nazi experiments into time travel uh, back in the 1940s? The only ones that I know of, um, well, gosh, I'm thinking of afterwards, you know, Operation Paperclip, when we mm-hmm. brought a lot of them over to help out here. Aren't we wonderful? Um, I don't know too much about what went on before World War II, if that's what they're talking about. But I would imagine, because they were very much into the most cutting-edge research, that they were probably on par with what Tesla, Nikola Tesla, was doing an awful lot of research into time travel and the manipulation of the electromagnetic field. So I don't know. Um, I know post-World War II, but I don't know what happened before that. And then the story that I think you covered in the book, uh, the the gentleman who was fixing the sink and, and ran into himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! I gotta go back and find what his name was. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. That's another one you can look up on the internet. A guy who was doing his own plumbing and he went through his sink and was he? Didn't he meet his father? No, he met himself so, in the future. He met himself in the future. Okay, because there was another <laughs> one where. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't in the know video, they show uh, both of them holding up their arm with the same tattoo. <laughs> now I've got a friend that's be his brother. You know, <laughs> what what's interesting is I got a friend that uh, uh, runs a tattoo parlor, and uh-huh. I, I asked him about those. Like, well, if this person is aged over a certain amount of years, the ink would have faded to this, and yeah, the, yeah. the there would have been distortion in the tattoo. Wrinkles and, and and right. like age spots and stuff. Yeah, I don't know why people do that, but hey, who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. he had really good skin when he was older. A lot of it, though, is fun. I mean, it's fun to think about the idea of time travel. And, you know, we look at something like uh, like the Back to the Future films, you know. Yeah. I, I feel about those films like some people feel about Star Wars. You know, I, I mean, I love Star Wars, too, but yeah. I, I just feel that way about them. And, and I've had endless debates with even my own brother for hours about, you know, the alternate timelines and how many DeLoreans there could have been at any one given time. Exactly. And, and things like that. And we just, we like that because it's something that... It challenges our mind, but in a way where we can't really be wrong because it's not real. You know what's what's funny about the Back to the Future movie, the first one specifically, where they talk about, you know, you are my density. This whole idea of destiny really plays strongly into whether or not we can ever overcome the arrow of time. Because if there is any kind of predestination to the universe, if there's any kind of plan or blueprint that's at work, And, you know, we get into things here like intelligent design and what have you. But if there is any kind of foundation, a blueprint, that would have to be followed. 
so time travel would not work within that framework, okay? If there is destiny, you're on a trajectory from the past to the future. That's the destiny that you're moving towards. So to, to tamper with time travel, you would literally be tampering with the destiny of the universe. And I love how that movie brought that up in such a really fun way. You know, the silly idea of your mom falling in love with you and that whole thing. But, you know, destiny plays into this free will. What's, if, if we can have the free will to go back and change the past, then this, does that mean that there is no destiny? There is no predeterminism? There's no blueprint to the universe. It's just sort of a crapshoot. So you, it brings in all this other stuff that I don't know if a lot of people like to think about. Um, but it's just it's fascinating to me. Well, it's as, such a deep subject. As you mentioned before, and as King wrote in the book, you know, the past is obdurate. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I find fascinating? A lot of the time slip photographs that you see are always of the past, never of the future. Yeah. And technology being a, an arbitrary piece of equipment that has no consciousness or memory really of its own, right. how, how can it be subjective? At be least su- yet. Yeah, well, you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. In it's the future, that might change. True, true. <laughs> but Skynet. The, here's a good example. Uh, I saw a photograph that was taken from, uh, it looks like high altitude, I think it may have even been part of a satellite f- imagery right. of New York Harbor. And in w- one of the cases on one of the, um, basically the, in one of the ports, there's the perfect image of a World War II vessel docked at a berth oh. that is not at. Or hadn't been at for over fifty something years. Right. How does a how does a satellite out in space catch an image of something that happened fifty years ago? That that ship must have just snuck into our timeline and our universe for five seconds, long enough for the satellite to. I mean, I really love the theory of the multiverse because it allows for all that kind of stuff to happen. The overlay. Can't prove it. Yeah. But if, you know, and, and I think, and again. We, we were talking earlier about this possibly applying to the paranormal, the idea of cryptids and, and these creatures that appear and then disappear. They come out of nowhere and they sort of vanish into nothingness. And I really think that there are both environmental and physiological things that occur at just the right time to allow somebody to glimpse something that is in an alternate universe or timeline. And maybe that satellite captured you know, that little bit of crosstalk between universes five seconds, ten seconds, however long enough it took to snap that picture. And then, boom, it was gone. And I, I you know, a wonderful explanation for everything from ghosts to UFOs to cryptids to time anomalies and, and visions and what have you is just that we're getting some kind of crosstalk or bleed through from other levels of reality. And if that's the case, then that would be mm. something that we could probably control a lot easier than wormholes. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think that maybe there are these land-based wormholes that are these locations where the environmental effects are just right for these things to happen. I mean, the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Triangle and the Great Lakes, you know, these... Bridgewater Triangle. Right, controversial areas. I mean, people have debunked them and then said, no, 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 there's something to it. But it very well could be that there are locations on the planet where... It is possible for some type of wormhole, maybe not the kind that we're envisioning out in the cosmos, but some type of tunnel, 
from our reality to another reality actually exist. And uh, Larry and I, <laughs> the next book we're writing is called The Grid, and we're really going to take a look at this idea that there are environmental and physiological effects and influences that if they line up, if they align correctly, allow for this kind of bleed-through to occur? And could this be what accounts for all of the things that we consider to be anomalous that that are so erratic and so inconsistent? Well, is this just bleed-through from other realities? What has to be in place for that to happen? So wormholes could be all over the planet. They're just not the way that we envision them from science fiction movies and TV shows. Well, I mean, and the more that we explore the idea of these multiple universes and these and, and these little windows of opportunity to see into them, uh, we can almost kind of figure out how to do that on a more consistent basis. Yeah. You know, if we can find these spots, let's just say, for example, you know, a haunted location is a place where you can glimpse from one universe into another. Exactly. Uh, then, then we should be able to. Uh, not cr- you know, not necessarily well, recreate it or make it happen, vol- but at least to be able to kind of follow it in a scientific manner and document right. what goes on. Right, and I but I think there's another aspect too, and I think that explains by why you and I could be standing next to each other and you can see something and I won't, or you can have an experience of another reality and I won't. And I think that's because the, there's things that are going on within our physiology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it involves brain chemicals or hormones or your blood type or what have you, that work with the environment, uh, you know, EM fields, seismic activity, whatever, that the two have to work in perfect alignment for something to be experienced. And I really think that that is probably the best explanation I've been able to come up with as to why you can have a number of people in a specific location and some of them have amazing experiences and others don't. I don't think it's because some of them are nuts or some of them are making it up. I honestly think that there are influences both interior and exterior that are going on that are allowing certain people to get glimpses into other realities. And I think that's why, you know, some people are better at remote viewing or they may be very good at precognitive dreams or or what have you, um, and then others don't. You know, some people are really good with hunches. Their gut instinct is right on the mark. They're very intuitive, or maybe they have a lot of deja vu, or they've had past life recall, and the guy next to them has never had any such thing. I don't think it's facetious to say, you know, they're operating on a different wavelength. Uh, resonance, frequency, all that stuff, absolutely. Vibrational. I mean, if you can align the frequencies that you're operating at, or your brain, with what's going on in the environment, yeah, sure. I mean, resonance is a huge part of what Larry and I research and, and what we think might be the mechanism behind opening one reality into the other. Harmonic resonance. Yeah. Now, of course, we all know, though, that if there is going to be time travel in the future, we are going to figure out this conundrum and, and how to do it. There's got to be one simple motivating factor, and it's not going to be humanitarian money. in nature. Exactly. <laughs> right. Money. I mean, what, what what kind of, uh, you know, profiteering can be had from this? You know, it's unimaginable. Yeah. I mean, who's this guy? Is it Richard Branson? Mm-hmm. Who's behind, like, uh, privatizing space tourism right, or something? Yep. I can't, yeah. I mean, I, there'd be, like, theme parks 
like Disneyland, where you go and you pick a time frame that you want to go back to, and you get on the ride, and you go plug in the, you know. There was a movie that did that, and if I recall correctly, it didn't work out too well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope, you know. That's true, though. People are going to want to make a buck. They're going to want to sensationalize it. They're going to want to, you know, just turn it into a circus. And that's why, you know, physicists like Ron Mallet, at the end of his book, even though his quest, his drive, um, you know, his dream is to figure out a way to travel through time, his book ends with a warning that we need to be ethical about this because we could be really messing things up. Well, the minute that it's a, that it is achieved, the minute that it's possible, then there's a need for regulation. And as soon as there's a need for regulation, there's the possibility of corruption. So yep. it's probably better off that we can't do it. But, <laughs> you know, I like the idea more of like the total recall aspect of it where, you know, you, you can create the false memories. You can create right, kind of the right. experience of time traveling. And I remember, I remember back in the 90s when, you know, virtual reality was I a was thing. I was going to say, yeah, you do it that way. <laughs> and, and, and it never really came to fruition, but virtual yeah. reality would have been perfect for, for those who want to time travel because it would be a way that you could experience the past or, or right. maybe even somebody's vision of the future From without the being able to... Home. Yeah, <laughs> and without being able to change the rest of the world exactly. within your experience. Exactly. Yeah, I, I I really do think that hopefully there, if there is something that will stop humans from doing this, it is there you know, because of our inability to ever do anything and do it right without somebody turning it into a you know a, a something negative. So maybe Stephen Hawking was right that we just. The laws will not allow it. Who knows? Maybe it's been done before in our distant past. <laughs> so the universe right. sort of adjusted itself to say, oh, no, <laughs> not again. And, you know, maybe it's not people that are made, meant to time travel anyway. You know, maybe it's just our thoughts and our, our, yeah. our energies that are made to time travel. You know, maybe that is an explanation for why we have electronic voice phenomena or, right, or apparitions. Exactly. Or, I believe that. And I think that, again, this goes back to that age-old debate of whether mind and brain are the same, separating mind consciousness from our physicality. You know, we're so focused on what the physical can do that we forget there's this whole other part of us that can do anything. And that maybe that type of research is what we should be focusing on. And maybe the body will evolve and catch up later. Now, you had mentioned that uh, yourself and Larry are working on a new project called The Grid. What can you tell us about that? The whole title, we actually are with a new publisher. We're with Hampton Roads, Herophant, and the, the title is The Grid, Exploring the Hidden Infrastructure of Reality. Hmm. And it sounds big, but what we wanted to do is through the, the, Larry and I have been working together for over five years, and we just keep coming to, around to the same things. We keep coming around to, again, the, the idea of the multiverse and how it applies to the paranormal and how it applies to how we view our own reality and maybe the illusion of us only having one reality. So we use the grid as a sort of visual symbol that maybe the truth is there are many intersecting levels of reality to our existence, and there are connectors between those levels. And there are triggers and mechanisms by which you can travel up and down a con or across a connector to get from one level to the next. We want to lay out as much as we can about what we think might be happening environmentally and physiologically that allow all that to happen. Wow. So we so use the grid because it's just, it's, we just sort of came up with this 
you know, I, there's grid theory. I know there are other people working on similar things, but we just really came up with this visual because we didn't like the idea of a field, field theory. It's two-dimensional. We wanted something that people could visualize in their heads. We'll look at a grid, a three-dimensional grid, with all the little connecting lines that go up and down side to side, and imagine you are on one level of that in your normal day-to-day existence. But, you know, when you go to bed at night and you dream or you have some kind of deja vu or you see a ghost, you may be going up and down some of those levels. And, And how does that happen? What might be happening to allow you to do that? Why are some people better at it than others? Well, it sounds like uh, as much as you've tackled big topics in the past and, and brought them down to to the average reader's uh, speed, it seems like this is going to be a <laughs> I hope so. an even bigger task. We're a little intimidated, but yeah, and it's going to be sort of an introduction to the to all of this. Um, hopefully, there'll be some follow up books to where we can really, really, really get into uh, you know the real basics behind what might be happening in the human body. So we'll touch on a lot of that in this first book. Well, this book that you're talking about tonight is this book is from the future, and uh, it's available on SpookySouthCoast.com and on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. And I highly recommend that you pick it up because it is going to get you thinking about the possibility of time travel without blowing your brain up <laughs> trying to wrap your head around it. And before we let you go, Maria, I have to get your opinion on something that I, I got in my Google News alert today about the paranormal. And you and I have talked in the past uh, uh-huh. about a, a television program that, that we were working on, and and uh, we had kind of a, a vision for a story. Well, this new show that's going to be coming out on the Lifetime Network is called Paranormal Housewives. Oh. And it's being executive <laughs> produced by Julia Roberts, of all people. Oh, you're kidding. And it's not... One of these, you know, real housewives of the paranormal. It's a, it's a drama. It's a, it's, it's a scripted show. Oh, you're kidding! But it's based on real life paranormal investigators who are also housewives, and it, it just seems like, a, you know, are we surprised that it no, took this long? No, it'll be paranormal guard garbage collectors next. That is hilarious. I had not heard about that. Zephyrus already has a show. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see, oh my you know, gosh. instead of taking the middle-aged housewives of the paranormal and putting them on TV, I'd like to see, like, a Golden Girls of the paranormal. Oh, that would be awesome. Like the Betty Whites of the paranormal <laughs> out there just kicking butt and taking names. Oh, that, my God. That's going to be the next thing, I think, is, is elderly paranormal investigators, you know, those who are already close to touching the other side. Well, yeah, because, I mean, they're, they've got the most motivation for trying to figure out what's going on. Exactly. You know? and, and then, you know, you can, you can have that They know episode. more people on the other side. <laughs> they can exactly. they direct, direct friends and relatives. And, <laughs> and then you can have that episode where, you know, Gus passes away and then he, you know, comes back and oh talks to the group and all that kind of stuff. But when I saw that, I was like, how perfect that we're having Marie on oh, tonight that, that we can... Too hilarious. You know, and and we, we couldn't get our idea off the ground, huh? Well, <laughs> I... I've been meaning to talk to you about that. I, yeah, I've been asked, <laughs> been asked to retool it, and uh, if you're still on board, it's a it's a little bit different of a take. But okay, well, we'll talk. But yeah, yeah that uh, paranormal housewives. And, okay. and I I'm just, I just can't believe Julia Roberts is throwing her hat into the yeah, paranormal right now. She must see the value in you know anything paranormal makes money. So she's probably thinking, hey, this is a this is a good investment here. Either that or she's just given up and she decided to go to the network where Lindsay Lohan's career went to die. Exactly. And they're like, sorry, Julia, we're only going to talk to you if you've got something paranormal to give us. So just off the cuff, she said, uh, paranormal housewives. Right. I think yeah, Ju- yeah. Julia Roberts and the Lifetime Network are paranormal alone. 
just oh, uh, being God, familiar. Oh, my God, that is hilarious. I'm going to have to look into that. That's funny. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think you should pay attention to make sure if there's any characters that are kind of based on you, you know, that you have the lawyers and the legal team ready. I am going to get my team ready, yeah. Are there any, like, single moms? I'm not sure. They, they haven't really given a lot of uh, plot details yet. But Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> they probably don't How have much yet. plot detail can you really have? I know. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of the ghosts will look like Lyle Lovett. <laughs> <laughs> are they going to have, like, Mary Kay parties and, you know... <laughs> While they talk about ghosts, I would, uh, oh, that, you know I have to watch that. I have to at least watch the first episode. <laughs> I mean, I refuse to ever watch anything on Lifetime other than Golden Girls reruns. But I think I you know. and I might have to check it out. Yeah, and it's only a matter of time before they merge the two: the Golden Girls and the Paranormal. You know it's coming. Uh, well, I mean, with the exception of Betty White, I think they all are on the <laughs> other side. So, yeah. You know, and I just can't wait till I get an EVP of a voice <laughs> saying, "It's me, Stan." Exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that about does it for tonight's show. We want to thank our guest from tonight, Marie D. Jones. This book is from the future, and this book should be on your bookshelf or in your hands or in your Kindle or your e-reader device. It's available in all those formats. Uh, you can go to mariedjones.com, and it's also linked up on spookysouthcoast.com as well. Thanks again, Marie, for joining us, and, and keep us up to date on the grid, and hopefully you can come back and, and talk about that somewhere down the line. I would love to, and thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Oh, great to hear from you. Until Larry next time, he's got to join in, too. He will, definitely for the grid. Yeah, definitely. We'll oh. get him on. All right, thank you so much. Have a great night. You, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is, again, is Marie D. Jones. And, and don't just check out this book is from the future. Check out all of her books because uh, you will find them to be fascinating reads. And even though they're very complex topics, they're nothing that you can't handle when you're taking uh, Marie's account of them. And it just, you, you do, you feel smarter being able to walk around with this book and, and people are like, oh, what's that about time travel? And you can start explaining to them some of the theories about why it might be possible. And you didn't know anything about it before you started. So. <laughs> Uh, definitely check that out. All right, we'll be back next week when we will talk more about the paranormal. Don't forget, you can join us on Spooky Crossroads Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. I'm not sure if we're doing a show this week because of the holiday, but normally Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock. And, of course, uh, Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice and Stephanie Burke airs Tuesday nights at 7. And uh, you can get the audio feeds now from the Spooky Alternative feed on iTunes and on the SpookySouthCoast.com website. And, of course, the flagship show, always available in podcast form from iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. So, And be sure to check out the video archives as well on on uh, YouTube. And keep sending us those emails, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. Let us know where you're from, how you found us, and what you like about the show or don't like. And uh, come and visit our website too because we, we could use the web hits. I'd love for our web hits to reflect our downloads. Yeah. You know That would be really helpful. So uh, if you can do all that, we appreciate it. But until next week, uh, for Matt Moniz... For Matt Costa, who is somewhere out there. I'd like to time travel ahead to when we can have him in the studio. Like, like, how about December 8th when we're going to be broadcasting live from Oddfest at Patriots yes. Bar and Grill? And we could really use him that night. But then again, if he's available, I want him there partying with us. Definitely. So. We'll have to see if we can get uh, – maybe Taylor can come in and sit in and help us out that night or, or somebody. We'll hire an intern before then. But Do you hire interns? Well, you approve. You have to get approved. That's the process. All right. We'll see you next week. Stay spectacular.